you have a copy of God's Word, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 10, the Gospel of Luke chapter 10. I was notified that in this area there are, well let me just give some background. Last week I mentioned something about the World Series in baseball. Of course, I didn't mean any offense by it, just was really sharing an observation. But in light of the, the Braves uh, winning and all the rest of it, um, I was given a warning that I may, I may have just offended one or two people. And then I was sent a video of the, the uh, what's it called, the, the, the tomahawk chop, whatever it is that they, they chant, you know, through the stadium. And I was thinking to myself, well, it was good no one had a, had a tomahawk or something to throw at me when I offended them on that occasion. I might have had to duck. So it's interesting to learn of the various cultures and various things that people are interested in and all that goes on. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Of course, I was watching this, this past week as inter- the international part of the international preparations for the, the Soccer World Cup. And so you had, just my point was being underlined, you know, France playing Kazakhstan, and, you know, uh, who are England playing? England playing Belarus or something like that. There's all these random nations all over the world. It's actually the whole world that's involved with it. So anyway, I'll not make my point any more <laughs> than I have done already. Uh, Sports. It's a funny old thing, isn't it? You soon, you soon realize there's still golden calves that get built up in people's hearts. That if you touch it, beware. You might be, you might be chased out of their company. But may the Lord always give us a love for Him above every other love. And may we honor Him above everything. So we're coming to Luke chapter 10. I want to read the last few verses here from verse 38. This is a familiar portion, but is always refreshing to turn to. We've been going through the Gospel of Luke, and it's been refreshing, I trust, on each occasion. And I trust it will be again as we come to a close of this chapter as the Lord gives us help this evening. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Remember there's been the the parable of the, the Good Samaritan. And that, as we will see, is not irrelevant when we come to what we're looking at tonight. It came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village A certain woman named Martha received him into her house. She had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving, and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Amen. 
May the Lord bless His Word to us this evening. Let's pray. Let's look for His help as we consider His Word together tonight. Lord, give help in Thy Word. May we, as it were, hear from the world turn Jesus to seek. May we learn what it is to sit at the feet of our Master and hear His Word. And there may be some here tonight that have never done so. They've never really turned away from the world to listen to Christ and to His Word. We pray that should such be in our midst this evening, that they would be helped to really give heed. As our Lord taught us to take heed how we hear, may they take heed how they hear tonight. And may they hear, and may there be a saving response to the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we need the Spirit, and we pray for the Spirit, and we ask for the Spirit, and we cry to Thee, Lord Jesus, to command the Spirit to be upon us and to help us in our consideration of the Word this evening. Come, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we come to the close of this chapter, I want to underline again the importance of a verse that is previous to the passage we read in verse 22, or rather verse 21, where we're told our Lord Jesus rejoiced in spirit and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. The passage we considered last time was that of the lawyer that challenged the Lord Jesus Christ. He stood up, verse 25, and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And after that exchange comes near to a close, he says in verse 29, he willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And in response to that question, we have the, the well-known event of the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now in that, of course, that we have this individual that is is found in the midst of the ones that the Lord is dealing with when he talks about the, the wise and the prudent. This lawyer thought that he knew. He thought he could see clearly in the Word of God. He, he believed himself to have clear understanding and things that relate to Scripture, and he is being found out on this occasion to come up short. The disciples, on the other hand, they they, of course, are, are, are humble. They are the babes. They have submitted to Christ. They recognize their, their need of His help. They have received the engrafted Word with meekness that is able to save their souls. And when you have that contrast, of course, you have the disciples and you have this lawyer, you have, you have the humble and you have the proud, we may then think that there's always just this clear dichotomy that the, the believers are always the humble, they're always the babes, and the the unbeliever is always the proud. He's always the one that, that doesn't see clearly. But there are those cases. In fact, we looked at it this morning. Those individuals that are believers, they know the Lord, and yet they also have this same spiritual problem in relation to their perception. They don't see clearly. They don't understand. They're not able to comprehend the things that they ought to comprehend. We mentioned the prayer of Paul to, or for the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 1 this morning, that the eyes of their understanding being enlightened. We mentioned that Samson, he, as it were, spiritually was blind long before his eyes were removed by the Philistines. 
Not all babes, as it were, according to verse 21, remain that way. They don't all remain humble. Pride can set in, and blindness comes with pride. Now, this, this, this ought to deepen our humility. The fact that I can be without the perception that I need to have, that a believer can kind of meander through life and not see as clearly as they ought to see, that they don't discern as they ought to discern, that they're unable to understand what really they should understand. It should scare us. It should scare you. It should scare me. I could get to a point in my life where I just do not see The passage before us, verse 38 and following, begins telling us that our Lord entered into a certain village. And assuming the same residence as we have on when John refers to Christ visiting with these same individuals, we understand that certain village to be Bethany. It's not far from Jerusalem, and our Lord, we assume, would often go there, and if He was in the vicinity, He would visit with the family. And this, again, is one of those instances where he is there. He's with them. He, he goes by. He drops in. He perhaps stays with them in some fashion. And they're not ordinary believers. Like, not that any believer is really ordinary. But, but the way the Word of God sees fit to express the importance of these individuals. John 11 verse 5 tells us that on that occasion, when he visited and the record is given in John 11, we're told in verse 5, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And you don't have that everywhere, do you? You don't have all these places where it tells us specifically that Jesus loved this individual or that individual. You do have it. It is expressed. It's not entirely unique. But there is this emphasis that we are to understand when, when He comes to this home, He is in the home of one where he, he, he shows great affection and love and where that is reciprocated in kind. They love him, of course, as well. And when you read John 11, you see that love. They, they, they love to see the Lord coming by. And, of course, on that occasion, Lazarus is sick. And they're desperate for the Lord to come. And, and there's this certain faith that's in their hearts, you know, that they believe if, if the Lord was only here, then then Lazarus would be well. I'm not time to turn there, but I'm sure John 11 is familiar to many of you. But on this occasion, Martha, that shows such faith, courage, strength, on the occasion when her brother is sick and dead, here she is to be rebuked. And she is rebuked. Our Lord rebukes her. Verse 41 again, Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part. You're you're coming up short here, Martha. You're the one that fails to see what ought to be done in this instance. I wonder how she felt with the rebuke of the Lord. How we respond to rebuke is a critical aspect of our Christianity. It amazes me that, especially one particular 
book of the Bible, the book of Proverbs, it emphasizes rebuke, correction. That with a book that, that so emphasizes it, Christians still find a way to always take offense at any form of rebuke or challenge. There's a book right there that basically is, is constantly telling you about the need for discipline, the need for rebuke, the need for correction, and, and what it tells you about how you actually receive it. It tells, it tells you something about yourself. You learn something about yourself as you receive correction and respond to it. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love thee, Proverbs 9, verse 8. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love thee. You can see, you can, you can discern all sorts of things. You can discern whether a man is wise based on how he receives rebuke. A wise son heareth his father's instruction, but a scorner heareth not rebuke, Proverbs 13, verse 1. And Proverbs 27, verse 6, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Yet, we, we love the kisses of the enemy. You know, you know when you want to find someone who will support your wrong thinking? You'll always find someone who will support your wrong thinking. Always. But they're an enemy of your soul. They actually are enemies of your soul. But you love their kisses. You embrace their kisses. You want their kisses. You want that support in the wrong way that you're thinking. But we should say, no, faithful are the wounds of a friend. And so Martha, I have no doubt she received the rebuke, for she was a true believer and a humble soul. But she had to receive the rebuke on this occasion. And Luke records this event. As he records it, he does so, placing it immediately after the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, there are times when, as I've said this before, there are times when Luke does not follow a strict chronological record of things. And I don't know exactly what time this took place, and so on and so forth, but, but he is placing it here, and I don't think we are, we are meant to miss something of the relationship between this event and what we have just considered in the last couple of weeks. The Lord has dealt with the lawyer, and now he is dealing with Martha. In dealing with the lawyer, he put an emphasis upon our responsibility to our neighbor. You're to love your neighbor. Who is my neighbor? Your neighbor is, is anyone that is in need. Anyone, and there are certain other criteria. I'm not going to qualify all again tonight. I said that last time. I'm not going to get into the, the qualification of, of economics and help. And There are qualifications. We have to be careful. But in this instance, we have a helpless soul who's meant to be your enemy, and he's in dire need. And if I truly understand what it means to love my neighbor, I will not hesitate to help. In this instance, however, the emphasis is on our responsibility to God. You might say it this way. Martha, Martha is, is fully prepared to be a good Samaritan. And she, she finds an inclination there that way. She, she's kind of built that way. She's built to see that poor soul by the side of the road and run to his aid. It would be her meat and drink to help him. She wouldn't hesitate. The, the, the thought of not helping him would never enter her mind. She would, she would set aside everything else just to, to help this poor soul. But here we see how being a good Samaritan, at least in a certain sense, 
can actually in certain contexts cause us to stumble at being a good servant of our God. You're meant to. You're meant to see the contrast. You're meant to see how here is one that wouldn't hesitate to help anyone that was in need, any practical matter. They will run. They will pour in all their resources, all their energy, everything they can offer. They're they're there. They're they're first to sign up. When when the preacher says there's a sign-up sheet for a work day, they're first there. I mean, they're right there. Names at the top of the list. I'll help out. But they're also the one that that if there's something busy to be doing on a Friday night or on some other occasion, let's say, Wednesday night, let's say, for some other thing where they can be helping, they will, they will gladly, they will gladly actually keep themselves busy on a Wednesday night rather than go to the prayer meeting. They find it easier. They find it more enjoyable. They may even say it's more godly. So, last week, <laughs> those of us who struggled to kind of get out of our comfort zone and help people, we, we felt the conviction. This week, those of you who are prone to be like hands-on, get something done, be busy, <laughs> it's your turn. You should feel convicted. Indeed, we all should feel the conviction of the Word. So I've titled my message very simply, One Thing is Needful. One thing is needful. You see that at the beginning of verse 42. One thing is needful. Ah, let that ring in your heart. Let that be, if it's the only thing that you remember, let, let that be remembered. One thing is needful. One thing. People like to say they're very busy today, that we're busy people. You know, we're not really. We are, but we're, we're not. We're more distracted than we are busy. And that's actually what we have here. Not just busyness, but distraction. So as we consider this portion, and I, I've endeavored to be really simple tonight. I'm purposefully trying to be simple. i make sure we don't miss the point. First of all, this is a call to prioritize the soul. This is a call to prioritize the soul. Look at verses 38 and following. Now it came to pass as he went that he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Now, just, just stop there. Martha received him into her house. Here's the thing, though. <laughs> when Martha received him into her house, him is not alone. It's not just the Lord Jesus. When you receive the Lord Jesus, you're receiving a whole host of people. Now, were the 12 with them? Most certainly. Were the 70 there as well? Possibly. I don't know. I've tried tried to put myself there and wonder, you know, were were 83 there? You know, was that that many just turned up at Martha's door that day? I mean, and they would have given heads up. Don't, Don't get me wrong. There would have been a measure of, like, run ahead, and at least that's normally what would have been the case. Although seeing her busyness here, you might wonder whether she had received any real heads up about it. But she receives him. She receives him. That's, that's commendable. That's commendable. We are to be given to hospitality, right? You have no business being an elder unless you can be hospitable and 
Romans 12 would call us all to be hospitable, so there has to be that element of bringing people into our homes and willingly serving them in this way. Martha's got that down. She has got that down. It comes easily to her. She would have every opportunity she could to, to receive people and serve them. She, she enjoys that. But at the same time, at the same time, she struggles to get the balance. We talk much today about self-care. And it is, we're told, make sure you take care of yourself. There's, there's good advice there. But it's always striking how little the soul is considered in such admonition or encouragement. The body is vital, but the body is downstream from the soul. And to care for your soul is proper self-care. And Mary, she understood this. Mary got it. In verse 39, we're told that she sat at Jesus' feet and heard His word. She was willing to just sit and receive from Christ what He had to offer, rather than trying to present her works to Him. And this was exactly what the doctor had ordered. This was precisely the response that the Lord intended he did not want everyone busily engaged in things while he's bringing the word. That was one thing I had to get used to coming here. I'm ministering here and seeing some of the busyness of what goes on at times, even as the service is going on. And I'm in favor of it. I'm in favor of the things because I think the things that are done are legitimate. I think that there's good reason for what we do. In fact, even biblical grounds that we could uh, lay out in relation to having people keep watch just even as we engage in worship. But the last thing I would want is for any man to be missing out on hearing the Word simply by busying himself with other matters. Martha was a devoted follower of Christ. She, she loved the Lord. She, she worshipped the Lord. She was thankful for everything that He had done for her. And no doubt she, she has this, this heart of compassion and, and longing to do whatever she can to bring glory to His name. But, but here she, she sees her busyness as glorifying the Lord more than the silence and quietness of her sister Mary. She misses the point. The point is this. At all times, prioritize the soul. That doesn't mean that every hour is given solely just to the soul, but at all times, prioritize the soul. What I mean by that is, if I haven't, if I haven't fed the soul, if there has been this sense of all this other stuff that needs to be done, and the soul has been left to languish, I have misprioritized. It is so easy for us to do good tasks and yet those good tasks are not they're not done in the balance of a soul that's engaged in right worship to Christ. Let me say to you Sunday school teachers, you must, you must 
not just do your duty as a teacher, you must prioritize the soul, your own soul. To come in every Sunday and be empty. You've, you've, got, you've got notes, you've, you've revised, you have, you have prepared in some way, you know what you're going to say, so you can carry out your duty, but, but you're running on empty. To those of you involved in other ministry, you know how easy it can be to do the same. Whatever form of ministry you're engaged in, to get into the habitual act of fulfilling the duties of the ministry while, while not, not prioritizing your own soul. And it's so dangerous. You deacons the same. Oh, the diaconate can be busy. There can be so much going on that needs to be done. But prioritize the soul, brethren, You elders, remember the exhortation. Remember the exhortation given by Paul. Take heed to yourselves and to the flock. Ah, there's a word. There's a word for your preacher. Take heed to yourselves and to the flock. That's, that's it right here. That's, that's it right here. Take heed to yourselves. Prioritize the soul. Make sure you're still manifesting this humble position before Christ, feeding off of Him, beholding Him, considering Him. Don't let it be duty that just propels us forward. Let not our energy be something purely in the flesh. We must be pushed forward by the Spirit. And we know when we're doing it because we're neglecting the one thing that's needful. We're neglecting Christ and sitting before Him and receiving from Him. And we know it. We know when we're there. The emphasis is to prioritize care of the soul. So let me ask, let me ask, especially those of you that aren't converted or you're not sure where you stand before the Lord, let me ask you, I guess I, by you being here, there's an element of priority for the soul, and that's a good thing. Although maybe you're here because you had to be here. I don't, I don't know what motivates you. What brings you here always? But I'm telling you this. The Son of God in this passage is teaching you that the priority of your life is your soul. He is teaching in this passage, prioritize the soul. Don't miss out on soul care. Don't miss out on the importance of, of meeting with the living God having a relationship with Christ and making sure that you're meeting with Him regularly. You see, that's the problem with the world, isn't it? That's the, that's the problem with the world. And, and all the stuff that's going on, all the, the, the kind of... I was talking this morning to someone and they were telling me just that they've never seen so much animosity and kind of raise flared emotions in the political affairs as they are witnessing right now. And I said, I, I know, you know why the case, you know, you know why that is the case, is, is they, they don't believe in God. 
The, the reason their passions are flared is because, is because they don't believe God is sovereign. And so they make themselves sovereign. And so they must get things done. They're the ones that are going to accomplish whatever the goal is. And, and, and their, their passions are an expression of the sovereignty of self. That builds on what I said on Friday night to the families. When we're trying to get our children to conform, when we, we try to get them to do the things that we think they ought to be doing, as they grow older and they gain more autonomy, you know what happens. They, they begin to resist, and, and you, you, you respond to their resistance by pressing upon them more authority. And you're going to make them do it some way, somehow. But often, often, what we do, and I'm not, I'm not against means and warnings and all the rest of it to, to help our children understand, but, but it, can, it can be done, it can be done in unbelief. It can be done from a position where we are, we, it's the sovereignty of ourselves. We're going to make them do it. And actually, actually, what we need to learn very early on is that only the Lord is sovereign over the heart and the soul. And we need to be prayerfully looking for Him to intervene in the rebellious responses of the heart. And if we do not engage in it prayerfully, if we don't look to the Lord for help, we, we are we're just trying to force something without the help of the Lord. Now, there are many things to be frustrated about today. Probably best to just turn off the radio and the television, to be honest. Prioritize the soul, Christian. Prioritize the soul. Secondly, this is a call to practice worship. Not only a call, a call to prioritize the soul, but to, to the practice of worship. You read on again when he says in verse 42, one thing is needful. This is contrasted, of course, with what is said in verse 41. Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing. So, so what he's saying to careful and troubled, the idea is you're anxious and disturbed. You could be translated that way. Martha, you're anxious and disturbed about many things. And, and I don't know all those things that were disturbing her and causing her anxiety. Again, maybe it was the size of the crowd. Maybe it was just the number of things that needed to be done, you know, because cause Martha's that type of person, you know, it has to be done the right way. It's like when I say to my wife, you know, like, just make it easy. Let's invite, you know, these people over and let's just do burgers and hot dogs. And she's, she's like appalled. Burgers and hot, hot dogs? Come on, you know, like, you know, it has to be done right. Well, you know, I, I've learned to just back off, you know. Get out of the way. Let Martha do her thing. (laughs) (laughs) This is a word for my wife. Where is she? (laughs) And and you get you get anxious. You get disturbed. You have all these things, these things that need to be done. And of course it doesn't help when 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 people that you want to and you are expecting to help you don't. Mary's idol. 
Martha's busy. Martha needs help. Mary, what are you doing? And I, and I, and I, can, I can see the scene. I can see, I can see Martha busily engaging and passing by where Mary's sitting and trying to catch her eye. You know, like trying to give her that eye. The, the subtle sort of communication, non-verbal communication. Mary, you know, I need some help here. But all to no avail. Mary either doesn't see it or she's just not responding. And the Lord sees all this care, the work, and the lack of help, and everything else that's going on. She's, she's anxious and she's, she's burdened. She's... She's disturbed about many things. In fact, when we're told earlier in verse 40, Martha was cumbered. You may have a margin that that tells you that may be translated as distracted. Distracted or drawn away. Sometimes we think cumbered means, has this idea of being burdened, like it's a weight on her. But it's not so much a weight as it is distraction. The cumbering is a distraction. Martha was distracted with the serving. Have you been there? Have you? <laughs> yes, you have. You have. You know what it's like to be distracted. Again, it's not busyness that's the problem. It's the distractions. Well, there are days where you don't have as busy a schedule and you're still not able to do, you're still not able to do the one thing needful. The problem's distraction. And in verse 40, after trying to get Mary's attention, doing everything she could, I imagine, she then says to the Lord, look at it, verse 40, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? You know what she's doing here? She's charging the Lord. Listen, she is charging Jesus Christ as being one who passes by on the other side, or at least he is encouraging someone else to pass by on the other side. In Martha's mind, Mary is like the the Levite and the priest. Martha's, Martha's the, 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 the man half dead to the side of the road and in desperate need of help. And Mary's passing by on the other side. Just as indifferent as you like. And, and, and Martha charges the Lord with, with giving encouragement, allowing this to take place. Oh, do you see it? There are so many things she doesn't understand, so many things we don't understand. We're called to to worship, and this is what Mary is doing. And there are things that keep us from worship, things that that come and cumber us, distract us from, from worship. Think of them. Business. Oh, how business distracts us. All the things that need to be done, the phone calls that need to be made, the emails that need to be sent, the meetings that need to be attended, and all the other aspects of of business. 
And it's there every day. It's, it's, it's there, isn't it? In your life, every day it's there. You wake up in the morning and there's business, business things that need to be attended to. And they, they come to you and they say, I'm the one thing needful. That's what it says. I'm the one thing needful. If you don't pay attention to me, the bills don't get paid. And so you, you worship at the footstool of business. Family. Ah, family. So many things that need to be done that relate to the family. You mothers particularly, you know it. You know so much. Every morning you wake up, there's just like a never-ending call of things that need to be done. And they tell you all of the little individual things. They, 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 they whisper in your ear first thing in the morning. First thing in the morning. They whisper in your ear, you know, getting the lunches ready or, or preparing breakfast for the kids or, or getting set up ready for homeschool or whatever way your, your house is run. It, it, there are these little things that, that whisper in your ear and what they're saying is, hello, I am the one thing needful. Give me your attention. Academic study. Oh, oh you, need, you need to give your time to the study, you young people. You have to. I can't fail the tests. I must pass the exams. I must get the project in on time. And all these things, are, they're just, they whisper at you. Hey, remember, yeah, I need to be done. And it's saying to you, one, I'm the one thing needful. Even your hobbies and your sports and various other aspects of, of your life. They're all telling you, I'm the one thing needful. Waving their arms, whispering in your ears, screaming loudly at times, give me your attention. And none of them, none of them are the one thing needful. They're not only distractions that keep you from the one thing, there are delusions that blind you to the one thing. Martha imagines, I mean, she, she has some argument in her head. There's, lo there's some logical reasoning it's not logical, but she thinks it's logical. She thinks it's rational. The processes of thought that are going on in her head. And she is bewildered as to why Mary doesn't understand. Why don't you get it, Mary? And more to the point, why doesn't the Lord get it? Do you see, do you see this? She's so, she's so certain in her thinking. She's charging the Lord. Ah, you, you've been there. You've been there. You're so certain in the, the way you think you're going to charge the Lord. And this is what gets me. Uh, I guess there, there are pitfalls on both sides. But um, there, there are various kind of extremes within the church. And uh, I've been in circles 
And you have both sides, I guess. In certain circles, that are very, let's say, politically minded. And, and, and in those circles within the church being very politically minded, again, it has this sense of, of uh, everything is about action. Everything is about what you're doing. Everything is about planning and uh, agendas and, and trying to move a kind of cause forward. It's all causes, right? It's all causes. Always pushing causes. And then, of course, there are others that are more of the mind, well, we're, we're not long for this old world. Let's just kind of wash our hands of its condition and have no concern about what's going on. Those are the extremes. And they both have to be seen as wrong. We are in this world. We are to be salt and light. And salt and light doesn't do a whole lot. If the salt doesn't get applied to something, or the light's on its own, it doesn't shine, or whatever. When I hear the causes, like the kind of this cause and that cause, and, and a lot of it, there's, there's, never, there's never a place for prayer. There, there are no prayer meetings. I mean, they've been abandoned, cast aside. If they exist at all, they exist in some cursory fashion that barely could be called prayer. And this is just not on. It's not on. It's, 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 we're driven to extremities. And the devil laughs. He laughs. Because what can, we what can be accomplished without prayer that is worth anything? So we get deluded. We have these certain philosophical ideas. We have these, we're, we're just, we're like Martha, we believe something. And we're willing even to charge the Lord. But there's such error. There's blindness. We're blind. We're blind. And, and she... It looks to me, I don't know for sure, again, verse 40, you know, from verse 39, Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, hearing his word, and Martha was cumbered about much serving, and came to him and said, Lord, was, it, was he mid-sermon? <laughs> was that how frustrated she was? Like, she just comes mid-sermon? Lord, do you not care? Mid-sermon. Wow. She thinks her works are better than worship. And that the, the, her cause is more important than his cause. Ah. He is there to give the word. She is there to meet all these practical needs. And Martha thinks her cause is more important in Christ's. It's very easy to get there. <laughs> very easy to get there. But we are called to worship. If we do not worship, we have nothing. This is the call of our lives, men and women. This is the call of our lives. You're not fulfilling your duty if you are not worshiping. The one thing needful is that we render to God the praise He deserves. It's that we understand his first call to us is to himself. Come to me. Come to me. Worship me. Speak to me. Hear my word. All the things that, that relate to sincere, heartfelt, gospel-centered worship. That's first. That's the one thing needful. And everything else 
secondary at best. Finally, this is a call to pursue Jesus Christ. This is a call to pursue Jesus Christ. One thing needful brings us to the feet of Christ. That's where we need to be. So let's think about this. We need to understand that it's needful first to come to the right person. That's really what it's all about. The one thing needful brings us to the right person. Mary finds herself near Jesus Christ. If you're wrong on this, you're lost. Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard His Word, that's where she is. And that's the one thing needful. Proximity to Christ. Getting yourself to Christ. This is the need. This is the need. This is why God condescends and becomes flesh. Proximity to man. Emmanuel, God with us. And the covenant, the covenant experience of genuine believers is, is the Lord never leaving us nor forsaking us. The Lord always abiding with us. No matter where you go into the world, I'm with you always. This, this, is, this is foundational. This is the covenant blessing to us as sinners, Christ with us. So, if that's the case, the presence of our God with us, then that's, that's the needful thing. It's to be near Him. Be near Him. So let me ask every one of you, are you near to Christ? Are you? Children, are you near to Christ? Are you near to Christ? Have, have you done the one thing needful? Have you come to Christ first and foremost for salvation, for the forgiveness of your sins? You can't come to the Father, Jesus says, but by me, John 14, verse 6. Peter tells us in Acts 4, 12, neither is there salvation in any other, there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. We need to get to Christ. Paul exhorts, that we must confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised Him from the dead and then we're saved. That must be manifest. This is, this is the one thing needful. This is, listen to me. Listen to me now. You must be saved. If you're not saved, it doesn't matter what you have, what you achieve, what you accomplish. It doesn't matter. All the other needful things, all the things the world says and screams at you, this is important. Oh, young person, get your career. Yes, get your job. Yes, young woman, get a good husband. Or young man, get a fine, a fine woman. All of these things that you think are so important, and, and they have their place. They do, they have their place. But you're going to die. You're going to die. And all of that will be left behind. All of it. Even your marriage. Even your marriage. It, it won't exist. It won't exist after this life. Your marriage will exist in the, in the communion that we have through Christ. It is that, that mutual fellowship that will be experienced with all believers through Jesus Christ to a higher degree than we've ever known here before. But everything changes. You drop everything. You drop everything. And the only thing that matters then is, is, is I, uh, am I in the presence of Christ? Do I belong to Christ? Are my sins forgiven? Can I come before Him on Judgment Day and know that, that he, is, he is both just and the justifier of them that believe in Jesus? Do I know what that means? Have I understood that? And there's no condemnation. 
that he will, as the catechism puts it on that day, he will openly acknowledge and acquit me on the day of judgment. Open, openly acknowledge and acquit me. <laughs> That's great. That's honey, honey to the soul. Openly acknowledge and acquit me. And it's only going to happen. It's only going to happen if I've understood there's one thing needful. One thing. That's at the foot of Christ. Being there with Him. Knowing the person of God's dear Son. But also even, you say to yourself, well, I do come to Christ. I do know Him. But let me ask you, do you know what it's like to also have the right posture? Because Mary sat at Jesus' feet and heard His word. She sat there. Oh, can you see it? Can you see her sitting there? Just gazing at Him receiving every syllable as if her life depended on it. I love it. It's lovely. It's a lovely scene. Just, just a, a, this, this, this very normal young woman living her life, and Jesus comes with all the disciples, and she just, she just shuts everything out. If there was something planned for that day, certain schedule, things to do, people to see, she just set it all aside. Didn't matter. There's where I want to be. I want to be in the, on the front row. I want to sit there at his feet. She's, she's that. See it, see it. See that sincere soul who gets up in the morning and, and casts aside all the distracting things just to, to get alone with the Lord Jesus. That's Mary. She has this posture of humility. I need him. I need him. I need his help. I need his grace. I need his word. I need his word. Ah, if she, she was here today, she would say yes. Yes, he's no longer here physically in person, but he's here. He's here in the word. And I open up the word of God, and I, and I come into his presence, and I, I read what he has to say to me. I sit at his feet, and I hear his word. Contrast that with the busy. Contrast that even with Martha on a good day, where, where Martha kind of hurriedly goes through her Bible reading. And she, she knows the importance of it, but she's, so she sits down and she says, okay, I have to get from here to here. And she runs through it and she gets through it and she says a prayer and off she goes into the business of her day. That's a smart, just, just kind of pull yourself back and take a, a kind of broad, wide lens view at these two characters. Life slows down with Mary. With Mary, it just, everything comes to a halt. It's just, oh, just to be in his presence. She doesn't care about the time. The Lord can sit there for, for days and she'll sit there with him. But Martha, Martha, she sees things to be doing. She, she, she's busy. She has all these responsibilities. <laughs> oh, Martha. You Marthas. You Marthas. You need to just, you need to just take some time. You do. You need, a, need to get alone with the Lord. So many of your anxieties and your cares... They'd just go away if you just got into his presence. He would, you know. He would sit there and see him as the king of kings. And then you'd say, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? (sighs) 
Ah, you see, you see, you just get into the shadow of the Lord Jesus and you receive from Him His Word and you see the loftiness of His person, His control over all things. <laughs> Again, just reading it last night. Some of you need to hear this, so I'm going to take the time of turning there to Proverbs 16 when I was reading with the family. You, 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 need, you need to hear this. Verse 4, Proverbs 16, The Lord hath made all things for himself. He's made all things for himself. And he's made them to sit before him. And here's the thing, Yet even the wicked for the day of evil. Even the wicked. So the question would come, He's made all things for himself? What about all that evil out there? Yes, yes. <laughs> Even that is going to bring glory to his name. You know, the wicked out there, they are bent. They are bent on making sure their lives are completely contrary to bringing glory to God. And in their best efforts not to bring glory to God, they are going to bring glory to him. They will. They will. The Lord has made all things for himself, yet even the wicked for the day of evil. He'll make sure they also bring glory to Him. So one thing needful. One thing. Do you understand it? Do you? Do you? Are you saved? It begins there. If you're not saved, you're lost. If you're lost, you're lost forever. There's no hope for you. You need to get to Christ. You need to confess your sins. You need to get yourself there. You need to shut off all the things, all the things that seem to be needful, but I'll lose my friends, or, or I won't be liked, or, or I don't want to be associated with Christians, or, or I have this whole plan for my life, and it, it would fit in better at the end of my life rather than here at the beginning or the middle. All these things. What, what folly. What, what folly. Put it all away. Oh, put it all away. Put it all away. Get to Christ. Get to Christ. What are you wanting? You want peace? Yes, that's what Mary had. She sat at the feet of Jesus. And she was perfectly at peace. It was Martha that was cumbered, distracted. It was Martha that was anxious. And, and she was the one who was concerned. <sighs> Blessed Lord Jesus. Oh, what peace we often forfeit because we don't take it to the Lord in prayer. May the Lord help us. Let's bow together in prayer. Have you been living as a Martha, Christian? Have you? Have you been living as a Martha? You're, you're neglecting the things that are needful. You're not choosing that better part. You know, you know. Honestly, I value it. How are things going? Recognize your own inclinations and 
don't be content to be a Martha. And if you're not saved, that's where it begins. It begins at the feet of Christ, confessing your sins, knowing your need of His grace. And it's right there at His feet that He will save you and take you in and give you peace that passes all understanding. If I can help you in any way, if you need me to pray with you or open the Scriptures, don't hesitate to let me know. Lord, we pray that you'll help us all amidst this chaotic world in which we live, the many pressing responsibilities that we feel and we see all around us. May we learn to sit at thy feet and hear thy word. I pray for grace. I pray for the help needed to understand how to prioritize our time and how to assign sufficiently a season to sit at thy feet every day. Give grace to this congregation. May we not just be busy in duty and weak in waiting. Baptize us with a spirit of prayer and supplication and give us eyes to see the preciousness of Jesus. The love of Christ would compel us to sit at his feet and hear his word. Be with us in our fellowship. All our conversations, may they be sanctified and may we encourage one another and provoke unto love and good works. Go with everyone as they make their way home and as some will stay and fellowship together and we pray the blessing of God upon the food. Nourish us and abide with us. May the grace of our Lord Jesus, the love of God, our Father, and the fellowship of the Spirit be the abiding portion of every child of God now and evermore. Amen.